God's ways are high. Right? That's, that's why we just prayed. We look at all the ways that life is playing out for people among us. People who love God. And in the moment, those ways can seem strange. But, because we love God and we trust God and we know who He is, we can know and believe and act as though He is good. That's, these are truths that Ryan actually reminded us about last week. God is big, and in the moment His ways seem strange, but they are good. And now this week, as we continue through the book of Isaiah, we're going to look at the other side of the worship coin. False gods and idols. Unlike God, they are small. Unlike God, in the moment, they seem very good. But they lead to death. The comparison is stark. And when you think about it, we could spend the rest of eternity talking and not exhaust the subject of God. But, as for the worship of anything else, any false god, any idol, I'm going to exhaust that topic in 30 minutes. They won't save. They are a burden. And they have no real power. That's your outline. But as we have marched. And as we have sometimes limped. And we have sometimes crawled through the book of Isaiah. We have discovered something. People love these idols. They have packed their bags full of them. And they are literally dead under the weight. And yet they will not let go. And God really wants to show them that. And there's an argument being built here. As we continue through chapter 45. God is exposing the idols of his people and he is exposing their folly in stubbornly believing them so that they would trust in him alone. God just keeps hammering and hammering this point home. And so I will. And so the question for you, as we continue, is this. Are you listening? And if you are, will you remember? We're on page 392 of your church Bibles. And I'm going to start with point one on your outline on the 20th verse of the 45th chapter of the book of Isaiah. Idols cannot save, and God will save. 
I'm going to read 20 through 25. God is speaking to all people. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed of all who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. So God begins this and continues this case by describing the baseline cosmic condition of all people. They're perpetually worshiping idols and they all have a need and that need is to be saved by God. But there's this picture in verse 20. These people have no knowledge. So what I just said, their condition, they're under it, but they don't know it. So they're perpetually praying to these false idols and their bags are getting heavier and their necks are getting lower and they're not being delivered and this stubborn cycle continues until they're dead. And it's so stubborn That in verse 21, if you look at it, God tells all people to present their case. And he does this rhetorically because if you have no knowledge, you have no case. You just stand there praying as hard as you can to an idol that can't save. And there seems to be no way out for people in this condition. Except for verses 22 through 25, which I'll read again. Because we need to hear this again. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I'm God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me. Every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and make their boast of him. So that's the salvation that God offers. People 
are freed from the stubborn worship of things they can't save. That's the freedom. In fact, when you think about it, it's almost like they're still stubborn, but now they're stubborn for the right thing. Instead of people fixed on their idols, they're now fixed on God alone. People can now, with new eyes, pick up their Bible and go back to verse 20 and they can see clearly what their idols have offered. Nothing but a vain hope of deliverance. And they can look in the mirror and they can look all around with these new eyes and they can see the desperation on people's faces and in their hearts as they waste their breath praying to gods who do nothing. That's what we get when God changes us. And there is a word here for us. You can pray as earnestly as you want. But if you are praying to the wrong God, nothing will happen forever. And you can keep praying. And you can pray harder. And you can grab a rosary. And it won't do anything. It will do nothing. But, there's another word here. God can make stubborn people change. He can make them stubborn for the right reasons. Boasting in him alone. So all that is a sort of cosmic comparison. On the grandest scale, that's the difference between God and idols. One cannot save, and one will save. And every day, all around, we see the evidence of that, and that is point two. We see the evidence, and it's a burden. Idols are a burden, and God carries burdens. And this will cover verses one through four, but I'm just going to read verses one through two for now. Verses 1 through 2. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden. But themselves go into captivity. I'm going to park on this one for a moment. Bel and Nebo, uh, well, the, the reason you may have never heard of them is because they're dead now, which disproves the point. But Bel and Nebo were two names that were at the very heart of Babylonian worship, religion. Like everyone would go around with like Bel and Nebo chains on. That's what they would do. And what they would do is they would wear these idols of worship and they would worship these statues hoping to prosper. So I'm going to wear this thing, I'm going to pray to this thing, and I'm going to get prosperity in return. And what God is saying here 
is that this little chain, or rather the worship itself, is like a hundred pound chain on the neck of a farm animal. And people go into captivity like farm animals. Let me illustrate that because most of you don't work around livestock. There are a few exceptions here. I'm going to use a very current example. How many of you were absolutely crushed the day you realized that your football team was eliminated from playing in tonight's football game? Or consider sports as a whole. You know? Have you ever had the quality of your day determined by the success of that game, Penn State? (laughs) Or has your life been a perpetual cycle of momentary joys, but the vast majority is maybe next year? That thrill of victory and that agony of defeat which the sports world glamorizes is a hundred pound chain around your neck. And some of you are looking pretty tired. And I've been to churches where on days like today they have kept the sermon short so they can get home for the pregame. I'm not joking. (laughs) That happens today in some churches. Or maybe you're not into football. Maybe you just like telling people how little you care about football. (laughs) Just consider the things that for you dictate how you view success and failure. The gods of prosperity are glorified Every moment that a father or a mother constantly worries if they'll have enough money. And every unexpected bill just shakes them to their core. This is the college student who can't possibly post a photo without filtering out every last imperfection And then their world comes crashing down when someone tags them in a photo when they look normal. (laughs) And this can even be the church leader who slowly waters down the sermons to keep the seats filled. Prosperity. Feeling good. That's it. The thing about idol worship is that the weight around your neck tightens every day and you don't know it. In fact, you might be tempted to feel like a victim. But you are not a victim. The text right here says you have volunteered for slavery. Willingly like a cow walking up a ramp. Ouch. 
at least the cows fight back a little. And the stirring contrast here between God and these idols is that these idols cause burdens and God carries burdens. Let's look at the next few verses. Verses 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your own old age. I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and will bear, I will carry, and I will save. And so to this burdened people, God's people, who in captivity have given up, and many of them are now worshiping Bel and Nebo, God points his people back, as he has done in places like the book of Exodus, to the reality that he is a God that frees people. And so as as God has done it, he will do it. Because God would bring Cyrus of Persia to strike down those Babylonian statues of Bel and Nebo. In their lifetime, a person reading this would probably, as they're being led out of Babylon, look down at a smashed idol of Bel and a smashed idol of Nebo. And maybe, maybe, they would remember God said this would happen. And then, then they would be free. Not when they're in Persia. You're free the moment you realize this. So it doesn't matter where you are. This freedom is a different sort. It goes way beyond politics. Because when God crushes your idols, and sometimes it looks like defeat in a game of football, when he shows you how much you're being weighed down by them with another sleepless night, he's not being a jerk. He is simply exposing the things that are killing you. And he's trying to do it before you die. This is good news. And this continues even to your old age. Did you catch that? In other words, it doesn't matter how many items you have in your bag. It doesn't matter how weak your neck is from carrying them or just from being old. What he does is he lifts the bag from around your neck and he shakes it out and then he carries you because you can't carry yourself. That's what God does. And he does that for the rest of your life. So that that roller coaster of emotions you get, you don't have to be on that ride. Let that sink into your ears this morning if you've never heard it before. As God said to Israel, listen, 
That is freedom. And you can have it right now. You don't have to wait for your team to win. Now let's look past simply hearing this truth and this contrast once. And let's see the reminder to call one another to remember it again and again and again. Because it's simple, but it is not easy. Let's look at your third point. Idols say and do nothing, and I might add forever, whereas God speaks and he makes the future. I'm going to read verses 5 through 11 of chapter 46. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales. Hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. I want to draw your attention to verse 6. And it's perhaps the only thing an idol has going for it. And we've already kind of said this. There is a lavishness about idols. That's it. They're attractive in the moment. And in that is a crucial reminder for you to remember. Be careful what looks good. Looks good. Because I don't know about you, but as I get older, I care a little bit less about football. I do. Like the Super Bowl was like, like the, the highs and the lows. It's kind of fun. Maybe every now and then I might get a little excited watching, but not really. Now I go to the food table, right? Be careful what looks good. Because you can say, I don't worship football. And off you go to the altar of food. And that sounds strange until you catch yourself doing it. And that's why I say it now. Because some of you laugh and tonight you won't laugh. (laughs) Idols look full of life. They look great. There are channels dedicated to them. Whether ESPN or the Food Network. But look at verse 7. They do not move. They are moved. These idols do not speak. 
They can't call out the human condition. They can't call out the problem. They sure can't call out the solution like the Lord has done. They just sit there looking good and people make them and they worship them. It's just a table of food and people worship it. And they worship them to death. And God here is telling his people of all these idols, of which I've named like two, you need to remember this. That's why God here uses the word rebel in verse 8. Because the word rebel reminds us that we are fundamentally not victims. We are criminals. We're taking what God has made and we are worshiping it. That's Romans chapter 1. And this word rebel brings us to our knees and it gives us one line of dialogue, one confession. We deserve no mercy. We go through life Worshipping one thing after the next. Trying to feel good until we die. And that changes the way we respond. Right? We need to remember that we were heading up the ramp until God saved us. Yes, from my perspective, I invited Jesus into my heart. Yes, I might have stood up and walked down. God grabbed you, and he picked you up. And even if you walked out, who gave you the legs? A mentality like that is how we stand firm, like we see here in the text. Because while all people are rebels, what do we see in verse 9? God says this, I am God. That's how we stand firm. God, who in verse 10 declares, and from beginning, because he has a voice, and he can do what these idols simply can't do, live and rescue and bring people to life. And it's kind of a historical down payment in verse 11. We see the bird of prey from the east, who is Cyrus, who God would use to bring down Babylon. God shows us evidence time and time again so that we will remember. Not so that we'll get scared because, oh no, what's happening to our country? God's greater than our country. God is crushing idol after idol, bringing us to our knees so that we will see that we are stubborn, but he is God. And it's here we find the argument hitting its climax. It's not simply that idols can't save and God will save, as we see in point one. It's not simply that these idols are burdens while God carries burdens in point two. 
It's that God is the beginning and the end, and he is the source of all life. And these idols do nothing because they have no life. But boy, do they look good, don't they? That brings us to our conclusion, point four. God alone brings righteousness and salvation. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13, and we'll wrap up with some application. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. The only thing we might add here or see here is that for people who are far from righteousness, which is all people, those who fail to remember the truth and those who have never even heard it, righteousness is not far off. Historically, for God's people reading this, it literally was not far off. Just a few hundred years after this was written, God's appointed servant, Jesus Christ, would come. And he would say things like, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. And some heard. And yet, the necks of people were still bent. And even the hearts of his own disciples were stubborn. And they could not remember the things he literally just told them like one sentence ago. And so, the world rejected God's servant instead of rejecting their idols. Because they didn't know. They were just deaf and blind to it. And yet, righteousness was not far off. So at mankind's worst hour, Jesus was faithful and he rescued his people. People from all over the world. And because of that, here we are. Because throughout history, all these false gods have perpetually failed empire after empire. But God alone has promised to save us. And in Jesus Christ, he has. And because of this, he has enabled us to stubbornly worship him instead of anything else. So there's two applications from this. Listen and remember. First, listen. If your bag of idols just got a little bit more full and you know it, listen. Even if you've been coming to church your whole life and this is starting to put a few cracks in the wall, Listen. When God frustrates you by showing your sin again and again, listen. 
God shows people that idol worship leads to death so that they can not die. Second, remember. Remember the allure of idols. But also remember the burden. Remember that all an idol needs to do to get into your heart is for you to like the way it makes you feel. Remember that all an idol needs to do to get into your heart is you have to like the way it makes you feel. Remember the momentary pleasure of that game, that moment, that food, or that nice comment, or that website, and compare that with the great burden that followed. Remember that. That's your conscience. And if you're not numb, that means it's still working. But don't stop there. Remember the rebel heart. Because it changes the way you look at other people. Then you don't say things like, I don't worship football and run back to the food table. You realize that the world is full of perpetual idols and God can kill all of them. And apart from God, you went right up the ramp. And finally, don't stop there. Remember God's appointed servant, Jesus, who has promised to save you. And who did that by carrying your burdens to the cross. And who is alive, though every idol is dead, and who will raise you to life on that day when every knee will bow. God knows how easy we forget. This is actually why we have communion. It's because we forget. This is a reminder that we can't save ourselves. And this is a reminder that though we deserved death, Christ carried our burdens and his body was broken and his blood was poured out for you.